0: Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. This is where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. Put your hard hat on, get ready for a ride. Here we go. In this episode, I'm interviewing a guy named Powerick Walsh. This is a this is an awesome man. He grew up being bullied for no fault of his own. Because of that, uh, looking for acceptance and love and attention and approval from all the wrong places, it cost him the love and approval he needed from the right places. He learned from that and from the ashes of what he once was and all the disapproval that he used to be, he found a way to get past all that, move through it, and make something amazing of his life. He achieved, and he is helping people now rick is an amazing man, and I'd like you to meet him. Here we go. Calric, and it's Walsh, right? Yes, sir. Tell me about, uh, just about, a little bit about you to begin with.
1: So, yeah, Calric Walsh, um, originally from Ireland. Um, so I grew up in Ireland, uh, did all my, up until the end of high school in Ireland. After high school, I emigrated uh, to Chicago, the Chicago area. Um, So even going back even further, I was actually born in the state of Pennsylvania. I was about six months old when my parents moved back to Ireland. So I was a natural, I am a natural born US citizen. And but grew up in Ireland then all my life. And in the late 80s, early 90s, emigration was pretty, you know, common. And especially I'm I'm from uh, Western Ireland. Um, so like rural, rural Ireland, um, grew up on a small farm, but emigration was, was very common where people were leaving. And even my own parents had emigrated for years, but, uh,
0: Everybody was leaving Ireland.
1: Everybody was leaving. Um, people were moving to the U S but they, you know, a lot of people that were emigrating to the U S didn't have like legal stature, green cards or anything like that, but they all seemed to be doing pretty well for themselves. And then I was kind of like, well, if I'm a U.S. citizen, imagine how well I could do for myself. Um, so I finished high school. I had no interest in going to college at that time. So I was 17, packed my bags and immigrated out to Chicago to a um, my dad's first cousin who lived in Chicago. And, and she helped me um, get uh, basically get organized there. And And like many Irish immigrants, went into the construction industry. Worked in that for a lot of years up until like 2008 um, with the financial crash. Um, And that was when then I ended up going through a toxic divorce. So it was kind of like a perfect storm. But right now I live in Buffalo, New York, and I'm licensed to practice law in the state of Minnesota.
0: Should we start with the uh, toxic divorce or should we start with the... uh your motivations to practice law, I guess they're related. They are kind of related.
1: Um, but knowing what your show does, I maybe might start at the whole immigration point. Let's do it. Um, so I ended up, you know, like I'm going to go all out here. Um, I ended, I, so when I was growing up in Ireland, um, I think I was about seven years old, and something happened. And it was something very trivial. But kids being kids, they felt they heard something that was never said. It was kind of like, so I was running with a friend of mine. Something was said. There was a window open into a classroom. Kids inside the classroom thought they heard something. But from that point onwards, I ended up being bullied a lot at school. Um, And this was like in the 80s and AIDS was just becoming prevalent, and, you know, the, the word AIDS was a bad word, and the whole lot, and then I ended up getting this nickname AIDS oh, nice. in school as a, as a young guy.
0: At seven years old.
1: And so it was about two years ago, um, I went through a, a psychedelic experience that basically took my hand and took me all the way back to when I was seven years old and it said, here's the point that you decided never to be yourself, that you weren't going to be yourself, that you were going to try and be somebody else so that other people would look at you in a way that you thought that they wanted to see. Yeah, that always works well. Yeah, you're you're damn right it does. So, then my life then from seven years old, it was always kind of like trying to be somebody else, trying to be somebody different and, and trying to be in the in crowd. And then as I got into, you know, 15, 16 years old. In in Ireland, the, the, the legal drinking age is 18, um, but at 15, 16 years old, I was sitting in bars drinking. Um, I was the big guy. I'll show you you're going to like me because I'm the the cool guy, I'm the cool kid on the block. Um, But then at 17, when I finished high school, and around, you know, probably around 13, 14 as well, I ended up losing interest in school. And basically, I just continued because I had promised my mother I would finish high school. But then at 17, then, as soon as I had the opportunity, I'd finished high school, I'd done the final exams in Ireland, boom, I was out of there. And that was part of this not trying to be somebody else, I'll show you, you'll want to hang around with me because I'm going to be successful in the US. And when I come home, I'm going to be a bit of a rock star. So that was um, a big part of um, of emigration. And then, you know, I, I worked in construction then after emigrating and but and drinking did become a big part of my life. Um. It wasn't the chasing the alcohol. It was to be in a bar, to be somebody else, to be the center of attention. And so I'd be the first one in and I'd be the last one to leave. Um, And that then basically transferred then into my relationships with girls, with friends, with my parents.
0: You played the role of the comedian and entertainer so that people would like you and want to be around you. And it doesn't matter if that wasn't authentic to you. Yes, sir. It, it, uh, satisfied your PTSD. Yes, sir. And
1: then in 2005, so I was dating this girl then from about 2003, a real nice girl. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I was, I think it was a power struggle. I wanted to be in charge. It was kind of like, you know, I'll do what I want to do, but you won't do unless, you know, unless you okay anything with me. Um, We had some good times. We had some bad times. 2005, then our son was born. Um, But I still continued on. I still had to be the life of the party and going out and not coming home. I, I was still working. I was functioning. Um, going out all the time and then finally that kind of wore off uh, 2006 then we got married so our son was born in 05 but 2006 then we got married um but then by 2007 um my now ex-wife she basically had enough of my antics and filed for divorce but then the Eww. divorce then turned very toxic yeah, um, I, at least I I I believe it turned very toxic. I think there was. I don't hold don't, any. Don't. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think look at my ex-wife. Yes, I I deserved. You know, she had enough. Yeah, and that and that was good enough. But I think when when you, I had never been in court before and and nothing like that. And then just to see, it was like, oh wow, um, it was a whole it was a whole other world.
0: Isn't it interesting? And I I think it's admirable that, uh, because all of us, myself included, uh, we do divorces and we all want to blame the other person. Um, but I don't know if you've uh, read or heard of extreme ownership. Uh, it's a book that I am, uh, you know, that has shaped my life a lot, but basically if you don't own a problem, you can't fix it. And, To me, you basically just owned the problem. You know, there was a divorce and you just said it was my fault. So now you can fix it. And isn't it ironic that you were chasing uh, being loved so hard that the one person who you wanted to love you the most had to to get rid of you?
1: Yeah, that's basically the bottom line of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah that's that's rugged dude um kids
1: so one son um so when we went through our divorce as i say it turned very toxic but there was never no issues during the the divorce with visiting with my son or spending time now he was only about two years old at the time but then it was after the divorce was finalized because it, there was was kind of like a perfect storm going on. Like we had a nice house uh, that we, we had bought and my ex had moved back in with our parents um, in Chicago. But then the financial crash was coming on. The company I had worked for was having issues. I was having issues. Um, there was just so much going on. And then I ended up out of work and in the line of work that I was in, there was really nothing going on at the time. Um, so it was hard to 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 nail down another job. And then the house was well, we need to sell the house because that was basically going underwater. There was a mortgage that had to be paid. So we ended up having to short sale the house. And then people think, oh, you sell real estate, you make some money on it. But we ended up making zero so what we ended up doing was losing our entire um, down payment that we'd put on the house um, but we got enough back to cover the note on the bank but basically then there was zero left zero left to yeah distribute I... in the finalization of the divorce so basically the only thing my ex-wife got was a child and a
0: and a car wow. and that was it there was, there was nothing else that's but what i'm hearing then is as you drink probably more than the present day you would advise you to do, you had a uh, less than awesome relationship with the wife, probably a less than awesome relationship with your kids. Your job was trash. Uh, mm-hmm. It was gone. Yeah. Um, that's a hole. How did you deal with that?
1: Uh, well, then throw into the mix and all that. Then in like 1997, I ended up going through this near-death experience. Uh huh. Um. So that was another interesting. So everything I believe, kind of like me sitting here right now talking to you, right. Everything I believe built one on top of the other, one on top of the other, and uh, you
0: want to, to talk about my
1: that? marriage? Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So b- before my marriage and before I even met my my, my now ex-wife um, in 1997, it was uh, up in the state of Wisconsin, where uh, friends, family friends uh, were visiting from Ireland. And, and we were in Wisconsin touring around. Um, and then it was a nice day. And, and myself and one of the guys, we ended up walking into a river just to see how deep it gets. oh dear the water was up to our hips but he was like one step ahead of me and the next thing down it was like he just fell off a cliff where there was this undercurrent underneath and then there was like you know words of encouragement hey you know you know he came back up and hey you know he's been swimming with me and then he he goes down again and then he comes back up and i get hold of him and i say come on swim with me and then he goes down again and then after a struggle for a while, anyway, with both of us and me trying to tow him out, and I, I had him at one stage out, and I thought I was far enough out to put my feet down, and the next thing, put my feet down, and the two of us just dropped like stones. And I'll never forget the peacefulness, the light, um, and it was just underwater, and I remembered this thing, and it as clear as day, and it was like it, I was never as at peace as I was at that moment. And then I remember as clear as day, then this thought coming into my mind. I'm not done yet. So I ended up getting the energy to pull myself up and out. Unfortunately, my friend didn't, Um, we found his body um, like a day later. But that thought stuck with me for years, like, Oh, I'm not done yet. Um. So then I ended up traveling around the world then for um, a number of years after that, um, worked in Europe, worked all over the US, worked out in Russia at one stage, Siberia, doing construction, but always at the back of my mind, it's like, oh, I'm not done yet. What am I here for? I'm obviously here for something. If I'm not done yet, then I bring myself then into my marriage. Um, but of course, all the time then I'm, you know, I'm losing heavier than, you know, what a normal person would do. Um, went through the divorce and the toxic divorce. And it's like this, this thing, well, well, what am I here for? Why, why, why do all these bad things keep happening to me? Um, what am I here for? Then after my divorce, then that's when issues started arising then about me visiting my son. so then that turned into more court battles, And it's like, well, what am I here for? What am I here for? Um, why are all these things happening to me? So then I spent about four years in and out of court, Trying to gain access to my son, and I basically just ran out of money. Couldn't afford to pay attorneys or nothing anymore. And I remember walking to the sidewalk outside the court, and I totally understood what it'd take to commit murder. Um, but then the thought came into my head again: it's like, no, you're here for you're here for something. And then I kind of started thinking, oh, maybe this is why I'm here. Maybe all these experiences, I was put here to experience them all personally so that I then can move forward to help others because um, it's very difficult to help another person unless you have personally experienced the problem. And, And that was the point then that I packed up everything and I returned to school. I said, I'm meant to be an attorney. I'm meant to help fathers through child visitation issues, child custody issues, child alienation issues, because I was meant to experience all that.
0: So I don't, it, that, uh, I don't know if that- Isn't it funny? if that makes any sense. Yeah, <laughs> it certainly does. Isn't it ironic that uh, life's uh, lowest moments are our greatest teachers and guides? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, and much I, as- I told, you, I told you I had a story for you. You do have a story. <laughs> so and and I'm putting myself in your place. So you uh, you have that near death experience. You lose your buddy. You go, man, there is a reason and a purpose for me being here. And then a couple of years go by, and now you've lost your wife. You know your your son is is has got to be hugely important to you. He's away uh, far more than you want him to be. I don't know if you get to see him much or at all, but you know he's away most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if you lost your job, the world is just kicking your trash. And then if it was me, I'd be going back. Okay, I'm here for a purpose, but it sure doesn't look like it. Yeah. Uh, what did that moment feel like to you? What did you do to yourself? I, th- I think it was like a
1: finally a realization that like every time I thought I was getting ahead, like over the years, like from the minute I left Ireland, you know, the next thing, something had happened. And then I start getting on top again. And the next thing, my body dropped. Then I start getting on top again. um, Then something else happens. I end up having a surgery. Then something else happens. And then it's like, the, 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 I lose my job. Then I get married, and I thought, okay, well, now my life was, you know, my son was born. I thought, oh, now my life is going to be complete. Um, Then that all falls away. Then that finally one day, and I remember it very vividly, standing on the sidewalk outside the courthouse in Chicago and saying, this is why I'm here. And it was like a light bulb. Because I'd spent all these years after the the near death experience, I'd spent all these years. Well, why am I here? Chasing like the I, I did. I traveled the world. I experienced different cultures. I I was very fortunate in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Um, but it was always kind of like, well, you know, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? What's my purpose? What's my purpose? Until that one day, I was like a light bulb, and it's like, this is your purpose. You know, I'm I'm sorry we had to be rough on you to put you through all this, but this was your training um, to get
0: to the point you are today. At your low moment. You know, you've, um, you're sitting in your apartment. Your wife's gone. Your family's gone. Your job's gone. You're alone. You're surrounded by nothing. Silence.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, um,
1: How does that feel? um i mean i'll i i I have been suicidal uh-huh um I think the only thing that ever kept me from carrying it out was the thought of my mother, and it was like went back years ago when we were kids, somebody in our local community had committed suicide, and my mother was a Very um, religious person, um, goes to church regular. But she had always kind of come back. She said, she just felt that it was very selfish of somebody to commit suicide. And it is. Because of, it's not, their pain is over, but now all this other pain is on the family. Right. And, And, you know,
0: I've uh, I've, I've, uh, thought about suicide myself. I had a plan. Mm. Um I never went as far as the plan, but I did think about it regular. Yeah. And you're right. Um my son had a uh buddy that he knew that uh hung himself. He was former military just a couple of weeks ago. No, I'm and sorry. um and so my son was in uh you know, obviously great distress. And that, that was the second in a couple of weeks of so people he you knows. He he must know a lot of people. I've never met anybody that I know very personally that's committed suicide, but he has probably had 15 in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that guy owned a very successful shop. It wasn't money. So whatever that guy's issues were, and he he was former military, so he may have had some PTSD, but mm-hmm. uh, it to see my son suffer the way he had, I think, uh, you know, if you believe in an afterlife, I think that's part of what hell is, is watching the pain that you've caused to people who love you and who would have been for, there for you if you would have allowed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be hell to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, selfish? Yes. Um, is there another answer? I guess that's why we have this podcast, right? Yeah, well, that's the
1: hope anyway. Um, so I you know I, I had kind of come from a position of in my own head and it was like oh I was brought up in an Irish Catholic family and I have siblings who are have are in successful marriages and then here I am with this divorce right. And divorce is frowned upon in the Catholic church and then it's like well I can't talk to my parents because well I'm the black sheep now you know
0: Uh
1: and and knowing full well now today all of us was pick up the phone
0: yeah they uh you know they may not have approved but I'm going to guess that they probably would have still loved you and you know all
1: I all I had to do was pick up the phone but it was in my own head Uh uh-huh Going through the conversation, like, oh, they'll say, oh, well, it's your fault. It's your this, your that. But that was only in my own head. Right. When in reality, all it was was a matter of picking up the phone.
0: And uh, that makes you very much the same as every other man on the planet. Yeah. Uh, when, When it was divorce time for me, I... You know, our last thing, last person I wanted to talk to was, was my, my parents, because I had some blame, but mm-hmm. well, we all do, whether we admit it or not. And, you know, I had a couple of good friends, um, but they weren't that good. One of them is somebody that I'd grown up with all my life, but at this point he lives 2000 miles away and I haven't seen him for five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one, um, he, he told me this story. I'd forgotten it, but he told me that I went to him. He was working in a glass shop and he was the owner and employee and chimney sweep there in the glass shop. And I, I just showed up randomly started talking to him about relationships and divorce. And he was installing glass. He was answering phones. And then I was third place.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so the way he told me the story is I, was there for a few minutes and then I could see that I wasn't going to be able to get any sort of a meaning conversation, meaningful conversation out of them. So I left and those were my choices for friends to talk to about this divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, Didn't work out very well. I, you know, we, we don't give ourselves a lot of options where it comes to to people that we can lean on. Yeah. And, And that's our fault
1: oh i I think you're a hundred percent right there garut um so I'm in the process now, you know what I mean of building a law practice to work with dads you know my my mission and I believe it's a mission uh-huh it's the divorce is kind of like, hey, your relationship is broken down, your divorce is splitting of material things, but when it's when the children are start to be involved, that's when I like to get involved but building into my law practice is not a traditional law practice. It's building in that, Hey, you know, you can text me, you know, you can call me. And I'm also working with the world renowned, um, mindset trainer, um, who is building a, what he calls a vitamin dose that somebody signs up with me as a client they will get this automated email every morning. And basically, it's a five to seven minute meditation. Um, the coach I'm working with, his name is Jesse Elder. Uh, he's based out of Austin, Texas. But he works with people all around the world. Um, but Jesse has had some experience with child alienation, but with stepchildren, not not with bloodline. Um, but he's totally on board. He's like, you know, These fathers are feeling lost already because of the divorce. And then you start taking their children away, you end up in a very, very dark place. And that's, I believe, where my experience comes in as far as, hey, I know that dark place. And here are some tools that I wish were available to me. And that's what I'm trying to do, no more than what you're trying to do with the podcast, is just trying to help one another right get through the dark time you
0: know yeah to me uh my darkest time was was that moment of silence um you know i was used to having kids bouncing around and being loud and laughing and and making messes and Mm -hmm. all of that and and then i go to a basement apartment where the silence just destroyed me yeah and uh for me that felt like the world telling me that i sucked and failed at life you know that uh you know family wasn't my thing and and you know jobs wasn't my thing life wasn't my thing and yeah it was a very dark and hard place and I mentioned in some of the other podcasts that the highlight of my day was listening to the family above eat dinner Mm. in the uh, in the evening because then I heard chairs rattling I heard um muted conversations i had heard kids making noise that was my highlight yeah it was it was a dark time uh still knowing how things turned out you know i i would do it again Mm -hmm. um how about you what what uh there's been plenty
1: of hard in your life uh
0: If you were a supreme being, and you were planning out Horik's life, would you plan out the life that you have experienced thus far uh, for a particular goal that you have in mind? In other words, was it worth it?
1: Sitting here today, I would say yes. Because I have experienced so much more in life, good and bad, uh-huh. than most people will experience in three lifetimes. And I'm sitting here today at 45 years old and touch wood, I have a lot more laps around the sun to do. Yes, you do. But I. Um, so it was a conversation. So I have a brother who still lives back in Ireland. You know, beautiful family, and you know, I have nieces and nephews, and they're they're fantastic. And I always looked up to my brother because this was even before I got married. I was traveling the world. I was, you know, stay in a place for three months, and then I'd move to a whole other continent, and I, three months, and I'd move to a whole other country. Um. And my brother was in Ireland and he, and he was building a, a very successful business for himself. Um, you know, it settled. And every now and again, my mods say to me, Well, why can't you be like your brother? Just settle down and blah, blah, blah. And I always, in my own mind, I always looked up to him and said, Yeah, maybe why can't I be like him? Why can't I? Until about three years ago, um, I was back visiting my family in Ireland. And my brother says to me, he said, Oh, he said, Have you ever met my friend? Jerry. And I said, no, I've never met him. Oh, come with me. I want you to meet my friend, Jerry. Jerry, have you ever met my brother, Parik? No, I haven't. This is Parik. This man has traveled to more places in the world than we'll ever dream of. (laughs) And then that kind of flipped everything around. It's like, well, I'm here looking up at him, but yet he was there looking up at me And the same. Well, I wish I could just travel like him. And so, the experiences that I've had, yeah, I don't think I would. Yeah, there's a few of them I wouldn't mind not lasting as long. Uh huh. Um, But yeah, um, and 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 talking it out now, even with you, and we've only met, even just talking it out is kind of like, yeah, I've had a pretty radical. Oh yeah, yeah. I, so far, uh, and a lot of people, the majority of people, will not experience what I have experienced in three lifetimes. So I, I, I kind of look at myself as very fortunate right now.
0: Well, I'm. What I'm hearing is your mom saying the same thing that happened to you when you were seven, <laughs> and and where everybody on the planet is guilty of that. When mm-hmm. you were seven, you were like, "Why can't I be more like?" some imagined ghost of a something. Yeah. And, and so then you had to become fake to try and guess what that something was so that you could try and be it. And then here comes your mom later on. She does the same thing. Why can't you be more like X? Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if, um, if the question we were asking ourselves is why can't I be more like me? Why can't I find out who I am and then be that person?
1: And that's you've hit the nail right on the head. It's like why well, me is good enough. And what I've learned over the last number of years is like I was built perfect. So I just have to be. I I actually read a, a little article um, the other day, and and it, it was kind of like about money, but. Um, This very successful writer was invited to a party. Um, Somebody met the writer at the party and said, Oh, this party is being hosted by X. This person made more money today than you have made your entire life. And the writer turns back and he says, Yes, maybe but I have something that X will never have. What's that? Enough.
0: <laughs> that is excellent. Yeah, I know some people who are exactly that way. You know, uh, one of them uh, doesn't make as much money as this per- person you're talking about, but uh, long ago they were making 190000 a month, mm-hmm. and they've probably doubled or tripled that since then. And they're still going on the same system because apparently, you know, reaching uh, a certain level and a certain MLM once, twice, three times, not enough. And mm-hmm. that that is awesome. You know, at what point I do I think you... that's
1: why, I think that even like, you know, take money out of the equation, I think it's kind of like, well, you need to sit down with yourself and say, well,
0: I am enough. And that's probably I... the route. You know, even you know, if I make three million, three billion a month, I'm still not enough. So I still have to go try and, and create something outside myself to try and make me feel like I'm more enough when yeah. it was never that.
1: When it was never that. Yeah. it It's just like, well, I, as a human being, I am enough. And yeah. I'm just part of this greater universe that we live in. And 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 just basically do no harm to others, and and try and help where we can. Yeah. Then I'm enough.
0: One of the uh, things that has uh, worked me for a number of years, and it doesn't haunt me and push me like it used to, but you know, beginning about 2008, we brought that date up. Uh, for me, it was what is greatness and what is greatness for me and what do i need to do to find my own greatness you know i started on what is greatness and i'm like well is it being super rich no there's a lot of people who are super rich who i would not want to be that person uh you know is it being a drummer in a band you know and having you know drug sex and rock and roll and you know that's that's not greatness um that's those are lifestyles that i don't necessarily want uh politician yeah no Um, and so you, uh, so you go through the list and what I came to realize is that regardless of your profession, profession doesn't matter. Greatness is who you are. Mm -hmm. And it took me a lot of years to realize it was service. And I was unhappy with that answer because I'm like, how much service, service to who, how often, when, uh, and so what I've kind of sort of landed on is as service is uh, learning who I am, finding out what gifts I've got, y- developing, using, and marketing them. Mm. uh and I think that's that's how we'll uh, we'll respond to our maker as well. Is uh, you know, did you use the gifts I gave you?
1: Yep. Yeah. So and I do, and I, do I do believe in that card as well and. I do have a gift of being a very good storyteller Uh and that's the biggest part of being a lawyer. How well can you tell the story? How well can you tell somebody else's story? Uh And so these are my gifts that I am really only now at 45 years old. I'm, I'm only discovering them now. I knew they were always there, but it was kind of like, well, how do they, how do they work together? And I always had empathy for other people as well. And, that, you know, that's part of my upbringing. And, and um, but now it's kind of like, well, how do you use it all together? And I, I, I'm, I'm very happy about where I am today. Because they all work together very well. And I'm helping other people.
0: Yeah, I, I'm going to say that you have enough. You know who you are. Is that uh, is that a fair statement?
1: Yes. Today, right now, I have enough. I am enough.
0: That's that's awesome.
1: And and that's basically it. It's, it's it's I am enough. Yes. And now it's to help another person
0: find out that they are enough. And you know what is interesting? What I have found, and I, I can't. I feel like I know who I am and I'm comfortable in who I am. And that's not because of anything I did It's because I married the right woman and she taught me how to be a man mm-hmm. uh, the second time.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm of the second time as well. Yeah. I'm very fortunate.
0: And uh, then what I found is, you know, I heard the quote about you are the five people you hang around the most. And I thought, well, I need to work on five people because I don't really even have five people, let alone hang around the most. So I started inviting people who I thought were awesome into my circle just to hang out with us. And these were awesome people. And what I found is we we created a group and these people who I thought were definitely above me, they took great value in being a part of that group. And you know, would kill themselves to make sure that when there was an event they were there. And it just Blew me away because I was like, if if these awesome people are, I'm gonna say lonely, that might not be the right word. But if they need this group that much, then there's some problems out there. There's a there's a problem. Everybody must be lonely. Mm-hmm. Everybody must be searching for somebody, support, assistance. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you're it sounds like you you feel like the reason why you're enough why you know who you are is because you are giving legal help to these guys who and then you're doing it in your own authentic way uh in a way that could not be found for any amount of money from from another source
1: that's what i believe so when i went to you know when i went to law school i was a non-traditional student and you know, people a lot younger than me were, you know, they they were going through law school and, and and now, you know, I've graduated about four years and I see some of my people who I went to school with and they're running advertisements like, oh, you know, he did three million dollars in personal injury claims this past year, you know, call this guy and call this girl. They've done so many millions of compensation. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm i here, like, right now, I don't think I've made $200 practicing law. Uh-huh. Um, but I do believe I've helped a lot more people than what yeah. my classmates have done. They're chasing money. And I always found, like, you know what I mean? Again, when you have that little bit of life experience, money always seems to run faster than me
0: well and uh and that's I've heard that a number of times if you're chasing money, you'll be chasing it if if you're uh if you're chasing you know some good goal, money is the result it's not the yes. product it's the result yes, it happens it just happens uh so but those for the guys first are,
1: time in my life I'm not doing something for a dollar amount and then especially the clientele that I am niching in to work with the fathers, predominantly fathers, sometimes it happens, mothers, but predominantly fathers. Um, it's not just to help them in the legal sense. It's also to be there on, you know, I, I have one or two clients now that you know, Sunday night they call me and they're like, you know, it's tomorrow morning, it's whatever's going on the next day and I, I just don't know and I'm like, hey, listen, you can do it. You just go to bed, you know, listen to your podcast that I sent you, um, get a good night's rest, get up in the morning, things will be okay. And then the next afternoon, they text me and they're like, you're right, you know, things were okay. But it was nothing to do with their case. It was to do with going to collect their kids at lunchtime or something. But nothing to do with the legal case that I was working on. And that's where I'm kind of like a non-traditional
0: family law attorney that's got to be a great service because anybody who's going through to divorce on either side it is great trauma and like i say us guys especially we got nobody so we rely on the gifts and talents that we don't have to get ourselves through and uh, often that gift and talent that we rely on the most is going to be jack daniels now that we know now that we've established that you are enough you've learned who you are, who are you?
1: Um, I'm Porik Walsh I'm the legal dad
0: the legal dad and
1: That's
0: who I am. and the way, the way you say that you know what that means, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I'm thinking now your mom is probably going to your brother, who's probably still in the construction <laughs> industry. Why can't you be more like Horik? He's living in America. He's a lawyer. He's this. He's that. I do have to say my mother is very proud of me now. And,
1: and it's not, do you know what I mean? It wasn't something I was chasing, but I do overhear her sometimes when I'm on vacation. Oh, that's my son over there. He's an attorney in the U.S.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> which it does give. It does give me a little bit of yes satisfaction. I, I, a little bit of satisfaction there, but it's not what I'm chasing anymore. Uh huh.
0: And because, that's because you're not chasing.
1: And it's because I am enough. Yeah. It's like whatever. I whatever. So there's a a friend of mine um who I uh, I work with from time to time. Um, great lady but uh, I, I don't know how we are with language on, on your podcast but but she has you can bleep it out so I'll just give you a fair warning but she has a bucket list <laughs> uh, and I read it one day and she's like bucket to the people who don't think I'm enough bucket uh-huh. to the people who look down on me I you know and that's basically what she has on a full list and it was really well done
0: you know you know what's uh you know what's kosher on this show anything that's authentic yeah and uh that's that's the only rule i've got that's that's awesome and that's the answer to this the conditions that you grew up in and that most of the rest of us grow up in
1: yeah so yeah so i don't go out there now trying to impress anybody else um i'm here now to genuinely help others Uh get through this pothole in life that they find themselves in. And I can do that through legal help. But I'm not here to impress my peers who I went to law school with. I'm not here to impress family or relatives or old friends from Ireland. I'm not here to impress anybody anymore. I know what I'm here
0: for, and that is why you are now impressive. I also uh, wanted to uh, emphasize. You used the word uh, pothole. You know, yeah. when, when I went uh, <laughs> through my divorce, it felt uh, more like a moon crater, or or it felt more like a cave.
1: Oh, I thought the world was ending.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh huh. That's really what I thought, but but now when I look back on it really you know what was it when you look at the grand scale of life it was just a bump in the road
0: it was a pothole yeah yeah Uh, i think there's a lot of guys who are going to be listening to this podcast who you know are at a low moment in their life and they're gonna go oh yeah this feels like a cave and uh, you know a cave full of bats and bat crap but yeah but it's really just a pothole
1: well, something that has really helped me out, uh, Garrett, is a book called The Power of Now. Uh-huh. And it's like, you're in your mind and you're thinking, you know, like when I was going through my divorce, it's like, oh my God, what now? And the letters are coming in the door and, the, you know, emails weren't as prevalent as they are today. But it was like, oh, you know, what next? And you're in your mind and then you're thinking back in the past and then you're trying to project into the future and, oh, it'll be better then. Really, if you just settle down and think about now, right now, everything is okay. Right now. Uh Uh-huh. That's awesome. And shut off the thinking because your mind is only playing tricks on you. It's like, you know, you can feel your feet. Like, if you sit back and actually just feel your feet. Okay, well, this is right now. I'm in... Right now, uh-huh. and it really does help if if you make a a conscious effort to like hear what you're thinking and hear what you're projecting. Be a bystander to your own thoughts because your thoughts are what's fucking killing you. Oh yeah, and but if you can learn to be a bystander, it's an amazing read. Uh, the power of now. And every now and again, I'll just, you know, you'll get frustrated doing something. You know, you're trying to put a screw into a little hole, and just, and you're, oh. And then if you just sit back and, oh, I can feel my feet. Oh, I can feel my, oh, no. I'm in now.
0: I, I remember it's taking my, uh, amazing. My, my daughter out. She was probably 18 months old. And she'd learned how to walk enough that she could walk across the grass. And I was going to take her for a little walk. And in my mind, I was like, okay, we're going to go around the small block or we'll walk across the street to the neighbors or whatever. She took 10 minutes getting across the front lawn because she'd see a stick. She'd see a bug. She'd see a a flower. And she would want to stop and examine every one of those. And at first it just irritated me. And then I'm like, why don't I see those things anymore? Yeah, it's kind of like,
1: wow, good for her that she was so interested in what's around her. Uh It's like, wow, the world is an amazing place when you sit back. Because I think over the years too, and and, and this is basically in most societies, when you're born as a child, it's like you have this 360-degree view of the world Everything is so new to you, the flowers in front of you, the trees, the leaves, the changing the colors. It's all like, wow, how this whole thing works. Uh But then over time, we get like, oh, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. Don't touch the stove. Then you you go into school and then you, oh, well, you should be more like your brother. You should be more like this one. Or how come your grades aren't in the... And then you end up getting these blinkers on. Uh-huh. And then you forget about, wow, it's amazing how the trees can change color like they do. How they are preparing to go to sleep for the winter by sucking the nutrients from the leaves back down into their core, into you actually, their
0: now. Uh, you and you segued into a story that came to mind that that I was wondering if it was even going to be relevant. but. Thanks for the segue. So (laughs) I I was in, um, Hawaii, uh, Turtle Bay, North shore, Oahu. And, uh, there was a dude I was talking to. He was handing out towels near the pool. Uh, Polynesian dude. I talked to him a little bit. turns out that he had come, uh, and played football at a local uh, junior college that was not too far away from where I lived here. And so I talked to him, and I said, well, how do you like your job? And I thought, man, you're the towel hander-outer. It doesn't get much lower than that. He goes, oh, I love my job. I get to sit and watch this Hawaiian sunset. He didn't say Hawaiian sunset. He said sunset. But he got to watch that Hawaiian sunset every night. And I thought, dude, you're an idiot. You're making nothing, and all you get out of life is, is this sunset. And then my next thought is, dude, I'm an idiot because I wasn't even noticing that sunset at the moment. Yeah. And I'd pay and it, a lot of money to be there.
1: And it right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's what happened is we get conditioned with you have to chase money, you have to be successful. Like, what is successful? So that man's success was, I'm getting paid to watch the sunset.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, when you put it um, that way, who doesn't want that job? You know? So so what what, what is successful?
0: Yeah, and what is great? To me, it's up to me what my success is. And look like. I'm going to reach out and say that a person's not going to be successful until you know what being successful means to you. Yeah. That's probably why you got people making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars per month and they're still searching and reaching.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I so kind of a st- story, um, so I'm a, a person who, I see everybody for who they are, um, it don't matter if you're the person, the janitor or you're the CEO, I'm going to treat any person the same, the way I'd like to be treated, but I was at a wedding uh, one time and it was at one of these fancy private clubs. And it wouldn't be, that wouldn't be my scene. But I'm sitting down, of course, being the Irish guy in the room, people are, oh, my family are from Ireland, and they're from this, and oh, my great-grandfather. But we were sitting at a table, but the bartender kept leaving his post and bringing a drink and leaving it in front of me. And I'm sitting with five or six other people who are very, successful people, I'll use air quotes, um, very wealthy people. And they're like, well, what's going on here? How how come you're getting table service? Are you a member here? And I'm like, no, I'm not a member here. They're like, well, we're members here, but yet we have to get up to get our drinks. Why are you getting table service? And I'm like, well, did you speak to the bartender when you came in? did you tip the bartender before the day started? And they're like, no. And I'm like, that's the first thing I did. I went to the bartender and I said, hey, where's your tip jar? And he's like, well, we're not allowed one because it's a private club. I slipped him some money. And from that point on, the bartender and I were on the same level and the same vibration. And then all these people with all this money, they missed the human connection. connection with that person.
0: So your lowest moment. Uh, you said that there was a moment where you uh, considered suicide. I'm going to guess that was probably your lowest moment. And we haven't really elaborated on what that moment looked like. Um, briefly tell me about that moment, and then we'll go somewhere with it. It was...
1: say maybe 2011. It was the day it was Thanksgiving Day. And I was out on the Wednesday night and had a good rip for myself. And then I got home and got into bed. And then I woke up the next day, of course, feeling terrible. But then I was thinking about all the people I was out with the night before. They all had families to go and have dinner with. They all had places to go. And I had zero. I was in my apartment alone, feeling sick, not up, feeling happy with with family or friends or anything like that. And it was, um, yeah, it got you know, it was kind of like, well, do, do do I go to the grocery store? The fridge was empty. Um, Yeah, it, it, it was that kind of feeling like, well, why do I have to be alone? I'm a nice guy. Oh. So why do why do I have to be alone? Um, And yet all these people, and they're all I wouldn't like for, and they're all great, and everybody's great, and everybody's happy, but not one person invited me to their house. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, like, well, why wouldn't they invite me? I would have invited them. Uh-huh. If they were if they were alone, um, but it kind of to me now like that was a very low 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 point. Okay, uh, and to me now today it's it's they didn't know my experience.
0: So that's my next question. Actually, is why was that lowest moment a gift and a blessing to you? What did it What did it do for you?
1: It, um, yeah, again, it, it made me think about, and this was before I read a, a good bit about, like, experiences. Uh-huh. Um, like, life doesn't just happen. Life is all about experiences. Life is about decisions. And but it began to open my eyes to, yeah, all these people are really nice to me and really nice to me, but they don't know how I feel because, one, I haven't told them. Um, I'm the good time Charlie, you know, a, a good time to be around. Um, but even if I told them, they still wouldn't understand because they haven't been personally through it. Right. They haven't been through a divorce. They haven't um, been away from their children. So even if I told them how I'd feel, they might nod their head and say, yes, yes. Yes. But would they truly understand? Absolutely not. I don't believe so, unless they had personally experienced it. So that kind of brought around experience. Like, what does experience mean? And that was the kind of the start of, and that was also around the time I made the decision to go back to school, because I was also in that thought line of, I totally understood what it would take to commit murder. Mm-hmm. I totally understood, like you read the stories in the paper where a dad or a husband has um, basically offed their soon-to-be ex-wife or whatever. Totally understood it. Uh-huh. And that frightened the shit out of me. And then I thought, well, the other way then was to just check out myself on my terms. Yeah. That yeah. loneliness. Lonely. Oh, boy. That's, loneliness was the main thing I remember from it. Yeah. Never been as lonely, lonely.
0: Been there very much, you know, and and I I have to say that I have uh, not directly been in a place where I was like, man, it'd be nice to shoot the ex-wife. But there were a hundred times during the marriage where I thought, man, wouldn't it be nice if she just died? <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, no, no. I totally understood what it would take for somebody to commit murder, Uh-huh. And that's yeah. crazy. Like, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's just crazy to think of. Because um, I'm the one that, like, you know, a little fly or a bee or something gets into my house. I'm the one that tries to help it back outside. Uh-huh. I'm not the one with the, you
0: know, trying to whack it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm the dude with the with the fly swatter. Yeah, a, yeah. A, a, one of those Zap it guns. What are those things called? They shoot salt. That's entertainment for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're a nicer guy than I am.
1: But then, for, but you know what I mean? Like when you're, t- when you think like that, it's kind of like, well, I don't want to hurt that fly and I want to let that, but yet yeah, I totally understood what it would take to kill somebody.
0: Right. Yeah. That's and that's me. That when really you, frightened me yeah that as it should i'm sure uh that's when you realize that it's time to uh take a look at yourself and and do what you need to do and it sounds like you did um yeah now now i'm going to ask about what that secret sauce is you know you you did what you needed to do i mean you had the option of just blaming everything on the ex wife or blaming everything on on uh you know mom or whatever but you didn't um
1: What's the secret? How did you do it? I was very fortunate to meet the right people at the right time. Um, so I, I'm dating, uh, um, basically the love of my life for the last 14 years. Um, She found me in like a, you know, I was a mess Mm -hmm. when she met me. Um, But she's like, listen, we just take it one step at a time. I'll help. I mean it, I'm genuinely here to help. We'll get through it. So that was part of it was to have somebody else that you could count on. Because I had got to the stage where I could count on nobody um or at least I believed in my crazy mind that
0: That's because you're a man.
1: It was me and it had to be me. Um well I did let my guard down and, and so I was very fortunate that way. Then I met um a number of uh, I mentioned earlier Jesse Elder. Uh, I met him a number of years ago and that was um meant to be um we were at an event actually in in uh in new orleans and it was crazy like how the universe provides when you need um and i had been looking for somebody to work with Uh personally as far as like mindset and you know to help me grow myself and I was in a restaurant and, and basically there was a lot of people around and, and there was one empty seat beside me and this man just comes and stands beside me and he says, um, I, excuse me, um, is there anybody using this seat beside you? And I'm like, no, do you mind if I join you? And I'm like, no, please do. And this man sits down and we start talking and then I asked him, I said, well, what do you do? he goes, well, I help people through difficult situations and I help. He said, I'm kind of like a mindset coach. When the student
0: is ready, the teacher appears.
1: And I'm like, dude, you're exactly who I've been looking for. Right. And we have become really good friends ever since. And that, yeah, definitely people. And, And I think it's kind of back to what you were saying, Garth, about surrounding yourself with people. and and how you surrounded yourself with a group of people. um, But you definitely have to let your guard down and kind of ask for help. Hey, I need help. And you will find the people that are there to genuinely help, that they're not there for an ulterior motive. That was the one thing I thought a lot about too. I'm like, well, if I ask this person for help, they're going to want something else. They're going to want something from me. And and that that was a, a lie. Right. Where once you genuinely ask for help. Yeah. Um, and then, as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, about two years ago, I, so alcohol was a big part of my life and ruined a lot of relationships in my life. Um, I wouldn't class myself as an alcoholic, I was more of a good time Charlie. I loved being in the company. I loved being around people Loved being in the bar, but if I'm at home, there was never no alcohol in my house. I wouldn't drink when I come off from work. I wouldn't do anything like that. But it was Friday evening and Saturday afternoon. Boy, I loved it. Um, but I started asking myself questions about well, why is this? You know, I had a great fucking time. Uh-huh. don't get me wrong. But it was kind of like, well, why am I the one? I would end up going through three shifts of people, (laughs) if that makes any sense. So basically, there'd be a group of people that would go to a bar at like two in the afternoon on a Saturday, and they would stay till five. So I would be there at two, and I'd stay till five. But then another group of people would come in at five, and they'd stay till eight. But then all of a sudden, I'm there from five to eight with this other group. And then the next group would come in at about eight, eight, thirty, and they would stay on till midnight. And I'd be there with them. And then I'd be there with the barman until he closed. And I always wondered, well, how come I can't go home? Why, Why? you know, these people come in, they have two or three drinks, and they leave and they go home. So I started looking for, and then I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have worked with Jesse and stuff. But I ended up uh, doing a psychedelic experience. And... That was the most amazing eye-opening thing that I ever went through. And I had had a drink and no need for a drink or anything like that since April seventh, twenty twenty two. But it was this psychedelic experience that took my hand all the way back to when I was seven years old and said. This was the day that you changed. This was the day that you decided you would not be you. And then it brought me forward and showed me. Said, here are the relationships. This girl loves you. This it wasn't you that ruined the relationship. It was your relationship with alcohol that ruined the relationship. It was you not being you. And brought me all the way to today. Well, that that was the most of, am- amazing thing I've ever
0: done. Kind of addresses the uh, last question I have for you, which is that uh, now you've got a, uh, I'm setting you up in a DeLorean and uh, you get to go back to any point in time in your life and talk to a younger version of you and give that dude advice. Um, and you, you get a minute to talk to that dude. Uh, which version of you are you going to go talk to and what are you going to tell them?
1: I would go back to my 17-year-old self August 24th 1994 that was the day I boarded a plane from Ireland to the US I would have gone back to probably August 20th and I would talk to that 17 year old me and say hey this is not you. You're just trying to impress other people. This is why you're emigrating. You're leaving your family. You're leaving everything you know behind. To do what? To try and prove to others that you can do it. Um, but what are you doing? You're doing yourself more harm than good. So why don't you settle down and stay with your family and find the real you again and then explain about this is what happened when you were seven that you basically blocked out. But you find the real you at 17, stay in Ireland for another few years, get a little bit more life experience under your belt. And then if you want to emigrate in your own time, but don't be rushing out trying to prove something to other people.
0: Yeah, what I'm hearing is uh, if you know who you are and and who you are requires that you emigrate to Chicago, then great. If you're doing it yes. to try and prove something to somebody, then not great. Yeah, uh, and that's exactly what I did. Was I was trying to
1: prove to other people.
0: And, yeah, I think the key to all that is, is learning first who you are <laughs> And that is hard to do when you're 17. Shoot, it's hard to do when you're 71. But, <laughs> but it's even harder when you're 17. So, yeah, but
1: well, you don't listen either, you know. You think that life is this thing, you know. And and, and I just see it now with, with, you know, younger kids, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old who I, you know, I'm involved in uh, sporting, a youth sports organization in Buffalo. And, um, you know, kids are like, oh, well, I'm going to college, and well, why do you want to go to college? Well, my mom wants me to go, or my dad wants me to go, my parents want me to go. Mm-hmm. Which college do they want you to go to? Oh, they want me to go to college, and they want me to study this, and they're like, well, what do you want? Oh, really, I'd love to go to carpentry school and become a carpenter. why okay, well, why don't you do that? Um, I was talking to another person just a couple of weeks ago, and this girl was 20-something years old, at maybe 21 or 22, and she'd finished high school, but has now been working since high school. And she's like, um, yeah, I just don't know what I want to do yet. Um, but my parents are supportive of me. And I'm like, that's fantastic. It really is. And she goes, really? She said, a lot of people kind of say, oh, well, you should do this, or you should do that. And I'm like, no. You find a look at, it. I was 40 years old before I found out what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so I think it's
0: fantastic. That makes you a lucky man that, that there was an age where you found out what you wanted to do.
1: Yeah. And again, back to like, just done the next and It was all about experiences.
0: Uh, I have not, uh, I have not asked this of, uh, you know, you're about my 15th interview, give or take. Um, I'm not asked this of any of the other guys, but um, one of the solutions, and I, I worked hard to arrive at this solution. You know, we talk about how men, um, we don't give ourselves anybody to go to. And so because of that, one of the mentalizing solutions is to create communities where men can talk to each other. Horik, okay. thank you
1: got my pleasure, and honor. I do look forward to speaking with you further.
0: Hey, thank you for listening to this Manalyzing podcast. I appreciate it. You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalyzing. Manalyzing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you.